Dan Perkins Media presents a unique and exciting program. Truth Starts Now, a conversation with Dan Perkins. The left has taken away your rights to freedom of speech. Truth Starts Now is a platform for you to regain your voice. America and Americans will be better off if we can have civil and respectful conversations about the day's important issues. Now, here's your host, Dan Perkins. Welcome back to The Truth Starts Now. I'm Dan Perkins, your host, and we have a very impressive guest to talk to us this afternoon, Mark Ebhardt, and he's really done, he's asked probably the most interesting question that I've heard in a long time. He's part of a project of one million truths, and welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, Dan. It's good to be here. Tell me about one and our audience about One Million Truths. Well, one Million Truths is a science-based nonprofit initiative that's dedicated to racial healing and reconciliation. Our mission is to transform the way we think about and respond to racial conflict in our lives, in our neighborhoods and communities, and throughout the country. And we're doing so by leveraging the power of AI. Let's step back for a moment let you play teacher for probably the majority of the people who are listening to this show or watching it are not really sure what AI is. They know it stands for artificial intelligence, but what does it mean? Tell my audience what, in your mind, artificial intelligence means. Artificial intelligence to me means code, a program that gets tasks done. And it's, as we are learning very rapidly, has incredible potential. It's very powerful and certainly influential in how we're thinking about businesses and how we're thinking about projects and initiatives like One Million Truths. So if, if I look at it from the standpoint of, art, as a novice, looking at artificial intelligence, isn't the artificial intelligence only as good as the intelligence that is inputted in the process. Yes, right now is a critical period. So what we're seeing in terms of an output of the coding and the development that's generating this capability and technology is a direct reflection of the values. And so what goes in comes out. And there's a point where we're all aware of that we're gonna to get to where artificial intelligence or this capability and technology will become very smart in and of itself. And, and the question is, is will it adapt to any gaps or errors uh, in terms of values that were kind of injected or part of the initial coding process? Or will that error, those errors influence the nature of the technology and the AI going forward to no end? It's a big open question. Do, do we, should we be concerned and I'm asking the question a, a little different way than I just did. Should we be concerned about the bias, if any, of the person who's inputting data to build the database? Absolutely. Right now, we see problems specific to bias frequently. Depending on the keywords or the words or the phrases that you type in and do a Google search, up comes up an image of uh, a brown person or a person of color that's very distorted. Um, a friend of mine the other day was telling me that they had Googled, uh, excuse me, they were in a particular, I forget which particular AI service and platform, but they typed in black beauty 
and up came a horse, very distorted and, and not very, very uh, pleasing to look at. So there's absolutely bias, and, and that is something that is of real concern. And we're hoping that we'll be able to contribute to correcting those biases and the algorithms that are generating those outputs that are not great. Okay. Who's verifying the accuracy now? Well, right now, it pretty much depends on the corporations in and of themselves. And that's one of the reasons why soon after OpenAI launched, there was a letter submitted to government by a long list of scholars and academics and professionals and executives in the industry. There is really not governance collectively or in terms of politically to really control this and, and guide it. And so right now, individuals and organizations are reliant on themselves to steward it. We're hoping that there'll be more, for example, nonprofit organizations that have an influence and are able to get into relationship, different organizations who are using these algorithms and technologies. But right now, it's it's kind of an open field. And and again, there's a lot of, a lot of questions, important questions that have yet to be answered. I write a lot of commentary. I've been accused of, of, of single-handedly knocking down trees and using all the ink in the world, but that's okay. I don't mind. I don't mind the criticism, but I write a lot about what I see going on domestically and foreign. And so I want to pose a question, but to give you the respect you should get, I need to give you just a little bit of background. Okay. I have been writing for probably longer than you, uh, you've been. That's okay. One of the things that I've written about most in the last five years is, in some degree, the issue that you're talking about, however you're talking about it domestically, is the, is the way I would use it in the United States. We see right now, before our eyes on television, what's going on in Israel and Yemen. We have people who have a, and I won't say religious philosophy because Islam is, is not a religion. It's a way of life, but it's not a religion. But they have rules that have been written 1,400 years ago. Beheadings, rapings, castrations, and things even more terrible. And we saw in the attack of the Muslims on Israel, the capture and raping and mutilation of Israeli women and held as hostages and prisoners. And they saw nothing wrong with that because it was part of their religious philosophy, life philosophy, that Muhammad gave them the ability to do this primarily to intimidate us infidels. And so I'm trying to figure out how could we use this new technology to change the rhetoric of what's going on with hundreds of millions of Muslims throughout the world who actually hate us. Is there a way that that could be used? Yes. Uh, I want to make a clear distinction between uh, people who have de declared hate for the United States and, and people who have not, because it's not one size fits all. And I'm also not a religious scholar, so I, I can't debate about whether or not, you know, Islam is a religion or, or, or not. But I, what I can tell you is that AI is being used within the government to address these kinds of issues. For example, AI is able to identify people who are a threat, let's just say, to stay in this context, and create archetypes that can be referred to for response purposes. An example of the kind of response that can be generated 
would be specific type of content or messaging or communication that's tailored to meet a person who has hate for the U.S., for example, in a particular way to begin to unravel and undo that certain that position and point of view. So it is absolutely possible. Now we're kind of dipping into the science of conflict and the methods of conflict resolution, but there is a way out and it's not a short road. It is a lengthy journey that's complicated and complex, but there are proven methods that have been used over the last four decades that have shifted people from using violent means to propel their agendas into a more peaceful, harmonious space where their needs are heard, respected, and met, and the need for violence and those kinds of methods and responses is no longer the case. Thank you for that. That was very, very insightful. If I could use another example, in order to effectively use artificial intelligence, if I write a commentary, is the artificial intelligence going to be able to pick up a bias of myself against a race of people or an individuals? And if they do, what happens to that? Yes, the technology will be able to pick up biases that will be captured or recognized based on certain words, phrases, patterns, et cetera, et cetera. What happens to that depends on who is using the capability and the technology. In our case, we would use it constructively. So if you had, if you were opposed to, for example, racial healing and reconciliation, we would use that to recognize where you are, your points of view, your positions, and again, offer you content and information to consider with the intention of moving you to a place where you can have dialogue with people with other opinions and points of views from your own. The whole objective here is to help us develop the capability and the capacity to hold multiple perspectives without exiting a conversation or getting overly triggered. Is the driving group behind Dix the uh, expansion of artificial intelligence? Is it academia? It's academia and business together and capital. And government? The government absolutely has a, has a, a big stake in it. I would say right now, you know, the, the private sector is is leading. That's my opinion. I'm, I may not be accurate about that, but that's my opinion. If you're looking at open AI, for example, and the amount of money and resources that have been committed to, to that endeavor, I think that's an indicator of where the traction is and where the heat is, et cetera, et cetera. And certainly the government is is well vested in, in, in this too, but I think the private sector given its access to capital is, is out in front. If somebody was using artificial intelligence and they took one of my commentary and put it through the artificial intelligence wayback machine, would it be able to determine whether I was biased or not? I believe so, yes. But it would be, you would need, the, the technology would need to have certain orientation to bias. So you need to tell the technology what to look for. And in issuing those commands, that doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing. We could be looking for biases in a constructed manner because we're wanting to invite people into a process, for example, to design new solutions 
and we're looking for particular points of views. And we want to make sure that we bring in a diversity of points of views to the work that we believe needs to be done. I don't have enough time to ask this question in this segment, but I'll ask it when we come back. Okay. We are we having a fascinating and a learning experience for me, education with Mark Eckhart, who is an expert in artificial intelligence and where it is and where it's going. And we'll be right back with him after this message from our sponsors. I'm Dan Perkins, the author of a new historical romance novel called Sad Eyes. It is a story of a young woman, a beautiful Irish lass with red hair, green eyes, and curves that won't quit. She is born in 1912 in Waterloo, Iowa. She decides she wants to be an ER nurse, but she wants to move away from Waterloo to the excitement of the big city. She is accepted at St. James School of Nursing in Chicago and began a life as a true American patriot, serving her country in two wars. She fell in love with the love of her life. She takes the longest honeymoon in history. This novel is full of twists and turns and is difficult to put down. You can find Sad Eyes at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and jcarrollpublishing.com or through your local bookstore. Get it, read it, tell people about it, and write a review on Amazon. This is Dan Perkins. Welcome back to The Truth Starts Now, and we're talking to an expert on artificial intelligence, Kevin Eckhart, and we were about to, I was about to ask him a question, but we ran out of time, so we're carrying it over. And I'm not asking you this question to put you on the spot. I'm just trying to get a sense of the capabilities of artificial intelligence. We have, in my opinion, a problem in this country, in many cases, being truthful. We just had, and I wrote several commentaries on this, the president of Harvard University, who not only didn't condemn the persecution of Jews in Israel, she was accused of 50 examples of plagiarism. If she didn't have the plagiarism, I think she would have still be president of Harvard. But I think as an academic institution, if the, the leader of it has been plagiarizing other people, that has a problem with her credibility. Now, I've seen software, Mark, that you can use to tell whether somebody plagiarized a story. And they've been positioning it as artificial intelligence. Am, am, am I correct on that? Yes. Yeah. Um, my work isn't specific to that application of artificial intelligence, but I am aware that that capability exists. For example, you can, you can design or code the technology in a way that basically it's, it's, it's going to scrape books. It's going to pull in um, information on, on books and, you know, white papers or whatever it is, theses that have been published and it will be able to identify phrases that are in common and compare them and raise flags if there's too much of an overlap or there's a lack of a citation in, in things of that nature. Do you think that an application of artificial intelligence will safeguard the truth? I believe that it can. That's a, that's a complicated question that takes me back to your initial question about the values, who's doing the coding, who's creating the, the ability to issue commands that the technology then executes to perform certain functions. What I think you can do is you can compile information that is deemed truthful and accurate, 
and use the technology to compare and evaluate and assess. And then at a certain point, human beings will need to come together, ideally a diverse group with different points of view, and there would need to be a process to go through to determine if the, whatever is being reviewed and considered is accurate, is truthful or not. More recently, we had two examples to me were basically devastating. We had the Center for Disease in Atlanta come out and say that wearing masks in the pandemic was wrong because, quote, the scientific evidence says that the COVID-19 particles were smaller than the portal in the in the mask. So it just freely went out. Yet we put tens of millions of children and adults in mass because we were told by the government that this was going to protect us. Then we were told that um, we only needed one shot, then we needed two shots, then we needed three shots, then we needed a booster. And now they're saying the inherent nature of the vaccines is they lose their effectiveness within about six months. I think there is a genuine distrust in the American people with certain aspects, in this case, the medical community and what they're doing and what they've done and, and the terrible price that our children are going to pay. So can I hope that artificial intelligence will be the ultimate truth detectors and we don't have to wait four or five years to find out that we've been misled? AI will absolutely help the process, can help the process. It again, it depends on who's coding it, who's deploying it, and what their agenda is. I agree with you right now in the country, it's a very difficult time. Getting to agreement, getting to consensus is probably more difficult than ever, I, I would say. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that's part of what I understand to be a 50-year trend of divide and polarization. And so there's big questions about who's telling the truth and what is the truth. And, and so I look at this from a human perspective with human beings being in relationship and human beings stewarding this very powerful technology. But it all comes down to our ability to process information and come to enough of an agreement regardless of the inputs. And if we're unable to come to enough of an agreement, then we will continue to be in, in, in conflict. I have read many stories, uh, Mark, about uh, artificial intelligence and the authors are warning that China is going to use it to destroy America, that uh, they're going to infiltrate the military industrial complex, and they're using scare tactics to try and stop this new technology from coming. I, I don't know what is true about the Chinese and their capability. I do not okay. know what is true and accurate about their intentions. So I don't think I can comment on that. So if you don't know if it's true or not, if in order to have somebody be the grand arbiter of what's really true and what's been put into an artificial intelligence file or whatever it's called, eventually somebody's going to have to proof that and say, no, this is wrong or this is right. Yes. Um, yeah. 
Who's going to do that? Is there an oversight group that's going to do that, Mark? I would imagine there would have to be, uh, and it needs to be a diverse group. It cannot be a group with one particular point of view, and that group needs to be particular, particularly skilled at working through differences in coming to uh, consensus. If you could describe for me a profile of who one of those people would be, not by name, but their, their skill set, well, how would you describe that decision-making? First and foremost, I would want a person on that committee or part of that process to be somebody that can take in multiple perspectives and consider those perspectives and be curious about those perspectives and engage in constructive dialogue to the point where you can get to an agreement that people feel is accurate and can be trusted and can be pressure tested. That's a good good point as far as being trusted. Do you think that there are going to be, and I don't mean to be absurd, but are there going to be thousands of control groups? The amount of information that we would have to process, I'm not sure it's possible for any one group of, of individuals could process everything that under AI to see if it was right. It's a really great question and, and insight you have there. I, I do think that the number of groups that are designated to function in that role and capacity will increase. And what their relationship is to governance is a big question for me. But I do know that given the scale of our challenges and the quantity of our challenges, that more people will need to participate in the process of understanding them and addressing them and responding in, in the most effective way possible. And so by that, I'm pointing back at we, the American people. I, I, I really, really, and this is one of the reasons why I founded One Million Foods, because my perspective is that the agreement about the history of the Black American experience on top of the pressures or underneath the pressures that we're all confronting and dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis are exacerbating conflict across racial and ethnic lines. And I think that's a dire distraction from the issues like global warming, even the threat of AI and changing world order. Those racial and ethnic conflict, from my perspective, are dire distractions from those issues that requires all of us to work in coordination and collectively for our benefit. You think that the day will come when there will be college degrees in artificial intelligence governance? Yes, I think so. I think there's going to need to be. Including Harvard. <laughs> Including Harvard. Who, who, who's, who's to tell Harvard that they can't, they can't create a curriculum for that, a graduate uh, curriculum in, in, in area of study for that? What's the danger in your mind of artificial intelligence? We've got two minutes. The danger for me is that we don't do the work now to ensure that the values that are infused in that technology and the governance that's required to steward it responsibly. My, my concern is we, we don't get there and we don't do that work because there is so much disagreement at, at, at the moment. This is really an inflection point for us. And, and this technology and capability is, is powerful and it's growing more powerful every day. And it really needs us to show up with our values clear and intact, but with open minds too. Let me ask you a more basic question as an author. I have read stories where 
college students have used artificial intelligence to write dissertation. If I want to write a new novel, I could use artificial intelligence by giving them some amount of input and it would write the book for me? Yes. Would it be a good story? That depends on your readers. <laughs> or the writer. <laughs> Or the writer, writer or writers. That's and, correct. And if if you do that, if you write a dissertation using artificial intelligence, the problem is they're not they haven't up to now been disclosing it. It's, if you dis, if you disclose it, do you think that those dissertations will be perceived to be of lesser value than the more traditional way to do it? I think what will have to happen is curriculum will have to adapt to include dissertations that are written using AI. And so what's the next set of questions that need to be answered that ensure that the learning process has integrity, has merit, but also includes the fact that this technology is readily accessible. Obviously, acknowledging that you're using it is important, but I, I, I think curricula needs to expand to in the way I just described. Well, Kevin, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, or excuse me, Mark. Uh, it went fast, real fast. I found it a fascinating discussion. Thank you for joining us today. Do you have a website that people can go to? Yes, 1millionproofs.com. And those are the words, 1millionandtruthswithans.com. And you can go there and learn more about what we're doing. More importantly, you can record an experience with racial or ethnic conflict or perspective on it or an opinion on it, submit it. It will become part of our database and we'll use that database to analyze that information and come up with solutions that are more comprehensive and include more points of views and experiences. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining us today, and we'd like to hear your comments or questions. So go to bwradionetwork.com, that's bwradionetwork.com, and give us your questions or comments. And thanks for joining us today.